What up all you beautiful misfits and rejects out there? Thank you for joining me for episode 246 of Misfits and Rejects. Today's episode, I brought back on Gavin Lang. You might remember him from episode 143. Gavin Lang is a explorer, a mountaineer, somebody who takes people out into the wilderness and shows them not just the beauty of the landscape, but what they're actually capable of achieving. People who are seeking something within themselves. He creates a safe space for them to find that thing or at least shed light on what they're capable of accomplishing. Well, in today's episode, I brought him back on to talk about his new book, Seeking the Light, Climbing All 24 of New Zealand's Highest Mountains. And this is a really cool book. He sent me a copy of it. It's absolutely gorgeous. He did all the photography, and he took the last four years to write it. And that's kind of what this whole episode's about, like what it took to really accomplish this calling he had to write this. The book is not just about mountaineering, but it's about finding something in the mountains. The title itself is a play on words, seeking the light, light being something that he needs to photograph the mountains, light being something that can drastically change the mountains and how you approach each climb, whether you're climbing from the sunny side or the shaded side drastically changes your approach and the safety measures you need to take to achieve your goal of reaching the summit. And then finally, the title points us in a direction of possibly finding something within us, a light within us. Some people might call it enlightenment. Some people just might call it a guiding light, that intuitive nature we all have that points us in a direction. And if we follow that path, we might find something out about ourselves that we never knew we had in us, or we might find something out in the accomplishment that we make by setting a goal and striving for it. So this book really has a lot of layers. And as I said, I was super excited to receive a copy and I've started my journey through the book and I have to say it's awesome. It's really beautiful just to hear his point of view of the mountains and then start to uncover the subtle nuances of what he's really trying to say. So I have no doubt you'll get a lot out of it. So definitely check it out. I'll put a link in the show notes, Seeking the Light, Climbing All 24 of New Zealand's Highest Mountains. And I just want to say thank you for being here with me today. I appreciate you listening to Misfits and Rejects. It means the world to me just to have you see that little notification pop up in your phone and make the effort to listen for the next 45 minutes. I hope you're enjoying the content that I'm bringing you. If you have any suggestions, by all means, please reach out. You can find me at Chapin at MisfitsandRejects.com. Always happy to jump on a call with any of you just to get your feedback or just talk about your life and what you're doing. If you have suggestions of somebody you think might be a good interview for me. I'd love to get an email and sending me the information about that person so I can do my own research and possibly bring them on the show. So thank you again for being here with me today. I appreciate you. And now you can just sit back, relax, and get ready for this episode with Gavin Lang. Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. I'd like to welcome back Gavin Lang from First Light Guiding. Gavin, welcome back. How are you? Hey, Chapin. Great to see you again. You as well, dude. It's been a while, like two and a half years almost, I believe. Yeah, something like that. Uh, had I started this process when I last spoke to you? I don't think so. I think it was just a thought. You know, it was something that you might have in the background 
didn't come across at all much in the actual episode we did, which was episode 143. But I think we talked about it pre-show, post-show a little bit. And um, excited to have you back on. I mean, yeah, two and a half years, a lot has changed. And you kind of alluded to a lot of change over the last two and a half years and the email that you sent reaching back out. Um, just to recap a little bit, you know, you were guiding individuals into the mountains of New Zealand, uh, kind of pushing them in directions to help open up new avenues in their lives if they were seeking something like that. And throughout the episode, last episode, we talked a lot about the changes that you'd seen in yourself over the years, things that you had seen in other people facing their fears. Fear is that thing that always seems to hold us back. Um, but then it's also the thing that leads to the most self-discovery if you do choose to face that fear. Um, and now you have a book. It's called Seeking the Light with a subtext that we'll get into what climbing 24 of New Zealand's biggest peaks. Um, obviously, with the experience you've had experiences that you've had i mean i can't even imagine the insights that you have at this point so you want to kind of maybe take us through the last two and a half years and what's shifted in you your life and and what inspired the book wow well four years ago i decided i would stop guiding to be able to focus on on this book project and the book project had been sitting manifesting for about 15 years it looked very different when i first came up with the idea in 2004 but um, then I set forth on this journey to climb all 24 of New Zealand's highest mountains and that on the outside the book is a beautiful you know photographic book there's about 35,000 words so there's a lot of words in there and that's where the the deeper message I suppose is the one that I was really driven to write about it wasn't easy to write that uh, it was a lot of soul searching and digging deep and observing and trying to explain exactly what I was feeling, what I, what what interactions I was having, and how the the uh, nature and adventure and challenge and fear, which is a gatekeeper for me, uh, what all these things were teaching me. So it was quite a a big change in terms of income. All of a sudden, that regular income from the guiding stopped, and I had to be creative in other ways with photography with just general laboring and other unglamorous things to be able to uh, in a decent income but i made it happen and i had great support from my wife my family um and what we've got now is i guess a dream realized which is the book is out and now i'm getting this feedback um you know i've put my little creation into the world my it's sort of like Musicians, when they put songs into the world, they let their children go. And that's what I've done. All these chapters of my little children and uh, that whole process now is being fed back to me, people's interpretations of them. And, uh, you know, as I, as I mentioned, it's on the outside, it looks like a, a nice book on how beautiful the mountains are in New Zealand. But, but the sub-story, the deeper story is the one that I was trying to transmit. And that's the one about how important it is to spend time in nature how important it is to go on adventures, how important it is to challenge ourselves, how important it is to face our fears. And I did lots of that. And I don't just mean standing on knife edge ridges. I mean, writing a book. <laughs> I mean, I'd never done it before, you know. Uh, so it really tested me. And some days were really hard. You do a lot of writing, you'll know. And, and there will be other writers out there who agree. Some days you wake up, you've got an idea, you write it down and it's 90% finished. Other days, it takes you 
you know, a whole day to get a paragraph. So that's how hard it was. And sometimes it was really scratching, am I doing the right thing? But I knew I was doing the right thing. And when I got to the end, I was at a point where I felt I've written the book. We've gone through the editing. If I stop right now and don't actually publish this, I'll be content. So it really was about getting it out of my system. And I felt really happy, content enough to say, if this doesn't get published, I will still be happy. My job is done. I've learned what I need to learn. And I guess the actual publication, the printing of the book is the icing on the cake. So that's what's been happening for the last three years. <laughs> this is great. There's a lot of uh, nuance and subtleties to what you just said. I'd like to go into a lot deeper on, which I've been trying to pull out from the past guests I've been having of recent, because uh, there's a lot of unsaid instability financially you spoke about. There's a lot of uh, kind of knowing you're on the right path. You found your purpose, if you will, to the realization of that conclusion where you, you knew you did the right thing, whether the book was finished or unfinished. So maybe let's just start with the instability being not secure financially. How did you deal with that decision to leave the guiding, which is your bread and butter financially, and know that this is the right decision to make, this book, this creation, dedicating yourself to that, and either deflect, ignore, or go deeper into the, the scariness of that? Can you take a step-by-step step through the thoughts, the feelings? I really like to give our guests the roadmap if they can relate to something that you say that they can now deal with what they're going through. Yeah, your, your podcast is – I listen to a lot of episodes, and it, it is focused around people finding – listening to their intuition, if I was to define it in one sentence. Listening to intuition and following it, taking action on it. Because it's one thing to listen. That's great. We all have hundreds if not thousands of ideas every day, but taking action on them is another thing entirely. And I think as I get older, my intu intuition gets better and I get better feedback loops telling me that I'm doing things the right way. And so, and, and then it's all about the end goal. What is success? Well, in my case, success didn't look like selling 10,000 or 100,000 books. It, success was actually just writing the story, how I felt about this, getting it out of my system, you know, that saying that you write a book because it's going to be more painful to keep it in. That's what it was. And the icing on the cake was really just people coming back and saying, hey, that's how I feel about spending time in nature, in the mountains, in the outdoors, being challenged, etc. All that stuff, they're all bonuses. So in terms of the instability, um, I had, I guess, not accumulated enough, but I had enough of a baseline um, knowledge or skill of being able to make a penny last a long time. And so I've always been quite frugal, and I wound all my expenses back. I looked at what was important, what wasn't, what was essential, what wasn't. And I kept the business alive because my intention was to return to guiding. Uh, the first sign, not not the first big sign that I was doing the right thing was when COVID came along. I didn't have to change anything. Now it's incidental, it's lucky, it's call it what you like, but I didn't feel unstable. I didn't feel this great instability when COVID came along because I had already wound back expenses and I wasn't reliant on inbound tour tourists. The border closed, tourists evaporated. They stayed at home, everybody was in the same boat, but um, I could still spend time focusing on this project. And it was also 
that was also a test each day in you know improvisation and going with the flow and finding new avenues and I did and that's what I that's what kept me going now it took a year longer than I had planned I had hoped that it would take two years to climb photograph film and write but now I have a newfound appreciation of how long it takes to actually write edit and proof and lay out a whole book so that was I guess another curveball that came into the into the mix and my wife was understanding of that how close I was I won't say she welcomed the idea with open arms there was some tension there was some friction there was some you know there was some upset this is going to take another year okay well what do I do in the meantime and it's not like life ends because it's going to take another year this is a dream project. I want to see it through. She knows that, and she was very supportive of it. Um, it pays to understand what situation she was in. She had 12 staff. She's an osteopath by trade. She had a two um, clinics, and she was planning to take things online, and COVID gave her a good solid kick to make it happen, and she made it happen fast it was a survival technique and she's very diligent she doesn't procrastinate like i do my creative brain goes off in so many tangents uh, she got about business straight away and built an online presence and that presence became bigger than her two clinics combined and naturally managing 12 staff is complicated especially through a pandemic and she eventually sold the business and is now fully reliant on this online business, which is called The Art of Listening to Your Body. Little plug there for my wife. Another tangent, another rabbit hole, maybe another interview for you, Chapin, but fantastic stuff going on in there. We have a lot, lot of alignment in our interests with just that title. I think it will explain a lot about what it means, The Art of Listening to Your Body. So that's just to sum up her space and because her business was so successful, there was a little bit less pressure on me. So it was a combined or joint effort. And the instability is still there because now I've written the book, What Next? And I don't really have a great answer for that. I have, I have lots of projects in mind, but they all feel like I guess they're missing that title. You know, when someone asks what you do and you can't sum it up in one word, I'm a pilot. I'm a gardener, I'm a bricklayer, you know? Well, you know what, I'm a hustler. I do lots of stuff. I love novelty and I, I, it's not a case that I can't sit still, but I do love to do different things throughout the week and I don't feel like the day starts at 9 a.m. or my working day starts at 9 a.m. and finishes at five, Monday to Friday, that's not me. So I like the hustle, I like the edge adventure i like to bring it to my work as much as my playtime in the mountain if you call it that so there was a knowing you also mentioned knowing there was a deep sense that i was on the right path still feels like that and i still get that feedback loop when people say i've just read your book and it brought me to tears just yesterday a friend from australia said it brought me to tears it just connected with so much about how i feel in the mountains so I didn't just hear it once. Uh, I may have mentioned it in the last podcast, but I certainly mentioned this before I started 
the project to numerous people. And my goal was to just have one person say, that's how I feel when I go into nature. And so now I've had it a dozen times or more. And so that's sign that the job is well done. You've mentioned um, that knowing and it resonating inside of yourself. And if you've ever, any listeners out there is like read up on this stuff that it can reside in parts of the body that are different from other people. So I have an intuition that resides kind of this in my gut area. You know, I'd say it's like top of my like belly intestines, a little below my sternum. It's kind of where I get my feeling. Where does yours come from to like indicate Same if you're place. on the right path? Okay. Yeah. So if, I don't know if you've ever looked at this, the energetics of this, but some of the ancient systems and the chakra systems, different parts of your body represent different things. And that particular area is your identity. So that's the uh, uh, solar plexus chakra. And so without going eerie-fairy, this, this stuff has been around for 5,000 years or more. And that's where that, you know, listening to your body world comes from, or well, that explanation comes from so yeah i feel it in the same place it is a, a gut feeling and those words have been around for a long time people talk about a gut feeling a lot didn't feel right intuitively in my guts i felt this was wrong or this was right well they're reaching into that the chakra the energy center where that stuff is stored and you don't even have to mention the word chakra you don't have to go all woo woo but that's that's it. Believe it or not, that's where it resides. So, and I simply feel that. Um, and that's what also drove you to start your first light guiding as well, right? That intuition, that that drink pulled to nature, that desire to give yourself that gift as well as others of finding something more deep within themselves. Yeah, through my own personal injury, my own personal processing of that injury, the challenges in life. I guess coming back from a place of despair, I write about this in the book, um, ongoing pain for about a year uh, through a neck injury. All of that and a, a previous observation of how people react in the outdoors and how they respond to it and how they open up. All of that led me to do further study to understand what exactly is going on. And, you know, things like Outward Bound, they're all drawing on um, the first step in the process of, uh, you know, leading to therapy as if something was not quite right mentally or physically or emotionally is to go into nature. And so nature is a place where you can work with it to, uh, as a, and you can work with it, use it as a therapeutic tool to overcome certain fears, anxieties, whatever it is you're dealing with. And so I got lots of signals that this was an established, um, let's call it adventure therapy or wilderness therapy. And I was already doing it and enjoying it the most with clients. So after a while, climbing to the summit of something becomes a little bit dated. It becomes the same. It doesn't matter if you're an F-18 pilot. Eventually, it all becomes work. So what is it that's actually deep and profound about your work that you get to connect with people. And I found this deeper, call it counseling, call it psychotherapy, call it adventure or wilderness therapy, call it whatever you want. It was really just connecting with people and getting them to open up, explain themselves, 
And I just saw through the five, six, seven day trips that I ran, and that's the average. Sometimes I have 20 odd day trips overseas. What I was seeing was a similar process and, a, and, a, and a, an incredible development in my clients where they understood, they understood themselves better, but most importantly, they accepted what they couldn't change. They often came with lots of stresses and they went away with new tools to be able to handle, cope, and not react negatively to these stresses and strains. So there's a lot of stuff embedded in adventure wellness therapy, but that's the essence of it. And, you know, that's my, that's my program. If people show up, I do a little test to see if this is something they're interested in. And I say when they show up, I mean, if they show up for a summit, I just do a few tests to see what, where their world is at and what they're interested in. And of course, there's just 100% of the time, there's some concern about something that they cannot change, or they have no control over. And I see if they're interested in this sort of stuff, and most of the time they are. Maybe about 50% were interested when I first started the company, but now I've become known for running this kind of stuff, and 95% are in. And some come on specific courses, like a course I have that's called Self-Mastery Through Mountaineering, and that's all we focus on. The, the time in nature and the adventure on the mountain is incidental. So that was the process. That is the process. That's what I'm still working on. That's what motivates me most with mountaineering. I think it would be very boring if it was just that physical challenge. Uh, you cannot ignore, in my view, you cannot ignore the fact that you go through so much to get to the top of a mountain. Emotionally, spiritually, for a lot of people, they just see that they wonder at what they're seeing. It's not always about overcoming some stress or anxiety. It's just having wonder and awe and gratitude for all these amazing things around us, a break from the norm, non-linear, non-straight lines, non-organized, you know, there's no Wi-Fi, there's no flush toilets, there's back to nature. And I think people really react to that. I see it. I know people really react to that. They respond to it. They identify with it. They connect with it. And it makes them better people. And if they can take a little bit of that away to use in their daily lives, my job is complete. What's... um a tool that nature has taught you, the mountains have taught you that you na- maybe naturally didn't have that helped you succeed in writing this book? Oh, what's a tool that nature taught me or gave me? I think this, I'm having a blank. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. I mean, the, the obvious we'll one. Come from, back. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, I don't, even, I don't want to leading question you into uh, an answer. So we'll just come back to it. Um, yeah, or sow the seed. I mean, I, I'm having a mind blank, but there's probably 10 things. And if you just drop one in, I'll go, yeah, there you go. So uh, from an observational point of view, you know, the, the perseverance one needs to climb a mountain when everything's going against them. And as you alluded to early on in the conversation, writing your book, you know, where there was days where you could write for eight hours and just all flowed out of you. You were in that flow state. But then there were days where you couldn't even get out two paragraphs and you, I would imagine we were frustrated and you felt like you were climbing a mountain. So from, yeah, an observational point of view, that perseverance, that getting checked by Mother Nature in situations that you were unexpected, but having to persevere through it might have helped you as, as you wrote this book. It came to me as you were speaking. Uh, sometimes it, I have to hand the, the baton back to you to 
to prompt me. Um, there are lots of things, but probably the most important, and it goes back to intuition, is just mountain intuition. Again, the older I get, the more I trust it, the more intuition becomes a part of my decision-making tools. And by intuition, I don't mean emotion. We need to. I feel like I need to separate the two. Am I getting emotional about this thing, about making my next step, about taking this hard, making this hard decision? And so mountain intuition has, has developed exponentially, I feel. The more I've trusted it, the more I've rel relied on it. So the mountain, mountain intuition is something I rely on more and more. As I, the more I use it, the more I rely on it, the more it gives a feedback that it's, it's, I'm, on, I'm on track. And what, what do I mean by mountain intuition? Well, there's a lot of, there are a lot of different things to assess to make a decision about whether it's good to go to the summit today. And I mean, you know, snow conditions, ice conditions, how hot it's going to be, which way the wind is blowing, a lot, a lot to do with the weather. Um, some of it has to do with how we feel, how physically tired we are, for example, or, or um, injured. What, you know, what injuries are we, are we carrying? Did we have a big day yesterday? Are we going to have a big one tomorrow? Is this the only window? Are we pressured into a window? It goes on and on and on. And I have had a situation where I've been, you know, we've gotten up at midnight, we've put all the gear on, we've loaded up with uh, breakfast, you know, shoveled it in at 1 a.m. or 12.30. And we, we haven't wanted to eat and we're ready to go. We've got our packs on, we're all roped up. We've got our packs on, we're on the balcony, we're ready to leave the hut. And all of the calculating I've been doing has all been in my head. And I, I go to my gut, I suppose, and, and I feel like today is not the day. Something's not right. And despite the fact that, on, you know, so often I want to go up the mountain as far as we can before we turn around, that's my number one policy, but that's a sort of a, a cerebral policy, one from the head, you know, logical I won't turn around till the sun comes up or I won't turn around until I see a definite danger or the wind comes up too strong for us to stand up, whatever that is. What, over, what supersedes all of that is intuition. If it doesn't feel right, it's not going to happen. And I guess it feeds into that, you know, whether you think you can or think you can't, you're probably right. So if it doesn't feel like it's going to work today, step away. And just last weekend, another example, we, we flew in to the mountain hut we were in pretty early. We were in at 8.30 a.m., and we wanted to make the most of it. I hadn't climbed with these two climbing partners before, but I, I've seen they've been very active. We teamed up. I said, let's do something easy, well, small, I should say, because it wasn't easy. Let's go out, spend a few hours climbing. Eleven hours later, we finished. <laughs> Jesus. We put up a new route. Uh, so it was a moder moderately big day, but certainly big for a warm-up. And because we didn't start at 4 a.m., it was kind of late in the day and we were just kind of catching up on food and water intake and getting ready for the next day. And ready for the next day didn't really happen. What we'd normally do is organize our packs, talk about what we, what we need to get, uh, you know, what each person's taking and why. And we did none of that. We all just went to bed. We were so tired. Four o'clock in the morning, the alarm goes off. I was like, oh, my God, I've only rolled over once. I need more sleep. I got up and I could see the other guys were the same. These guys are sort of 20 years younger than me. So I'm the, I guess the old guy now at 45. <laughs> and I could see they were sort of dragging the knuckles on the ground. I went outside, had a look at the sky. Everything looks good. Yeah, sweet, perfect day for climbing. 
doesn't feel right. I go back in. I said, does anybody actually want to come in today? Or is the best thing we can do to go back to bed? Because remember, the weather's good tomorrow. And they went, yeah, let's go back to bed. So the most important risk assessment decision we made was to go back to bed. That's a hard thing to do. And that's, I believe, probably one of the hardest but most important things you can do in mountaineering is know when to say no. And know when to say yes as well when all the chips are down. So we had everything in our favor that day. The weather was perfect. There was no wind, calm, open skies, everything just tickety-boo. But we weren't in ship shape. And so we, we really just, even if no accident happened, we would be on, we could be on this route saying, oh, my God, I wish I was in my bed. And that's just wrong. You need to want to be there, I feel. Time is too precious. We need to be wanting to be on those climbs and really enjoying them as much as we possibly can. There are hard times where we wish, oh, God, my hands are cold. I wish I was back in the hut. I wish I had a hot tea in front of me. I'm super cold. You know, all of that's to be taken into account. But if we're starting from a place of, oh, my God, I'm just, I haven't even caught up on the sleep from yesterday. Yesterday was just a little bit bigger than it's probably twice as big as it should have been. So we waited a day. And the following day, we had a great time and we got our objective. We spent 14 or 15 hours on the mountain that day um, and put up a new a, a new route. So last weekend was highly productive, even though we took a complete rest day in the middle. And uh, I know my 22-year-old self probably wouldn't have done that. So mountain intuition, to sum all of that up, follow, follow your gut feeling. Trust that mountain intuition. And I have read, uh, the first person that springs to mind is a guy called Andrew Locke, who wrote a book called Summit 8000. He's an Australian. He was, he was the first and still the only Australian to have climbed all 14 8000ers, and he, he did it without uh, oxygen. Now, asterisk there, he didn't climb Everest quite to the top without oxygen, although he did climb to the summit with oxygen on a guiding trip. So that's sort of one part of that equation that he's never quite finished. But, hey, I'll take my hat off to this guy, incredible climber. And he talked about going up the Lhotse face on Everest one day and just getting a, a, an intuitive push to turn around. And he followed it. He returned to camp. And later that day, uh, you know, there was carnage, an unforecast storm came in. And you know the story, the usual stuff. I can't remember how many people died, but people died, people got injured, people got lost on the mountain, snow blind, frostbite, you name it, all that stuff. And he, without any inkling of this coming, just followed that intuition and went back to camp. So examples like that show me that other people are having that experience in the mountains too, and they are listening to it. The mountain intuition that you describe is... I would say easier to contrast in those extreme situations and you develop maybe that skill a little bit faster, but for the average person who is a writer and writing books and applying this to the, the challenges that you faced as well, where you can apply that mountain to air quotes, mountain intuition into your day to day would be something like sitting down and just being perplexed and not being able to write at all. And instead of just like slogging through it and producing three pages of shit, you step away because intuitively you know this isn't the right time. And then you try again maybe later the next day, you know, when the skies are still clear and your head's still clear and you might be able to get into more of a flow state and be way more productive. Uh, 
would you say that's an accurate kind of way of utilizing that skill set within your day to day? Yeah, it, it. I have said mountain intuition, but it's just intuition in general, to be honest. Um, and to use the great explanation that you gave about writing, um, there, there are rules, and there are also breaking the rules. Um, I just to reflect on how I process th- things. If 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 there was a block and it wasn't happening, I'd go into nature. Okay, so I I definitely needed my nature fix every day. Whether I started at the crack of dawn with a walk, which I did today, um, go for an hour, go down past the lake, come back up through you know as much the boardwalk through the trees, the native forest, etc. Just get that connection with nature, smell. Here it's spring is in the air again, the cherry blossoms are out, etc. Get all of that sort of. That's all part of just changing your mindset. Come back, try again. If it's still not working, leave it for the day. Then the flip side of that is I had done that quite a lot and I'd found my flow and it was working for me. And I got to a certain point where I was nearly finished, but I was having trouble with one particular chapter. I was having trouble finishing it off. And I discussed this with my editor and she suggested just maybe step away from it for a week. And I said, no, I've done that for too long. Now I need to, you know, go back to the coal face until this job is done. And that's following my intuition, throwing all the rules out and saying, no, I need to finish this now. That's what I really feel. And I got there. Um, And it was about, just to give an insight, it was about actually taking words away, not adding words, taking words away. That was the liberation for me. Once I agreed all of this needs to go. All of those words I spent so long poring over, all the books I read to pour into that, whatever, 20 paragraphs, five pages, whatever it was, I don't know. There's a lot of words. Got rid of it all, and it liberated me to then write two more paragraphs, and I was done. That's a great insight. If it, were, if, if it was only that easy for everyone, there was a lot of pain to get to that point, to get that realization that all I have to do is take that away. And now mm-hmm. I laugh at it. I go, yeah, fantastic. Kill your darlings. Get rid of those beautiful things that you wrote that you think are important, but actually someone else looking over your shoulder, and that's the job of the editor, the unseen, uh, what do you call them? I guess they're, they're, they're our rescuers. You know, They rescue us from this um, cauldron of, of boiling water. We can't get out. We can't reach up to the sides. And they just throw us a line and say, hey, just, you know, take all of that crap out. They don't say crap. Of course, they say it nicely. <laughs> I think if you got rid of this and they highlight it. So that's what happened. And, and I was liberated to, to write two more paragraphs to be done. And it was fantastic. So you were saying that seeking the light is about your experience in the mountains. And you've commented how you get this feedback loop from people who've read it who said, yes, you nailed it. You really captured that internal dialogue that I've had in the mountains or however people, you know, speak to themselves in the mountains, maybe out loud. Um, Seeking the light, though, it's like, did you come to a conclusion at the end of the book? Have you found something? Does your reader find something after getting taken through this journey into the mountains that you've experienced? They'll have to read it. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. I like that answer. Suspense. Um I think the one of the biggest conclusions I came to is that it's not the knowing that will make us happy. It's actually the peace with 
uh, or accepting of not knowing and embracing the adventure, that's the interesting part, if that makes sense. And we, we are all seeking answers in our different ways. And the conclusion I've come to is that we may never know why we're on this planet. Uh, second to that, it's probably a good idea to do good. And if we have a third thing is if we have a good goal to work towards, we can feel fulfilled. And if it doesn't do anybody harm, then the first three things you can roll with. So why are we here? I can't really answer that question, but I know it feels like um, I'm here to build relationships, to help others, to uh, um, find a sense of purpose. And to quote Jordan Peterson, he says something along the lines of, I'm going to paraphrase something along the lines of, life is miserable, so we might as well make it as less miserable as possible by having good purpose and good goals. Something like that's along the lines of what he says. And, and, he, and it's true. It's very hard for us to agree with that because it's like, no, really? You, you want to fight it, you know? Do you feel that sense of wanting to fight that? No, no. Life has real purpose. Yeah, but what is it? How, how can you be so sure? So it's not that I want to argue with one, anyone and say, no, there is no purpose. I want to say, there's no rule book. We're only guessing. And we're only doing, because we have consciousness, we're only doing the best we can. And if that feels right, carry on. So what did I learn or, or what major thing did I overcome or what revelation did I have in the book? Well, basically that it's okay to not know. It's all about having the adventure along the way and being excited about waking every day and finding out new things, learning new things, seeing new things, experiencing new things, meeting new people, all of these things. That's where the fun is. And if we ever stop learning, I think then it feels like life is a bit of a waste. So, you know, like I mentioned earlier on, this is a, a, a book that appears to be about mountaineering on the outside, but it's actually masquerading as, as a whole lot more. It's masquerading as a book about mountaineering, but it's actually about a whole lot more. And I hope that people, I think, I can't give the silver bullet answer to that. They need to go and interpret it themselves and figure out what it is they get from the book um, and endure. If the stories about adventure are not interesting for you, endure those because there's in each chapter there's something, there's a theme, there's a little thing that I play with that opens, I guess, my eyes and may open the eyes of others. Uh, and that's there's some little theme going on in each chapter, but there's a bigger chapter called The Healing Power of Nature. That, that's how I open the book, and that's probably the most important one. So if you don't read anything about the adventure, just read The Healing Power of Nature and see how you go. See if mm -hmm. it resonates with you. And if it does, carry on reading. So everybody finds their own way in the world, and I've just found mine in mountaineering, and, and uh, it opens doors for me and gives me a lot of answers. It gives me space to think. Like even this morning, I got up earlier than normal. I went out the door feeling kind of heavy. But by the end of the walk, because I'd spent time in nature, because I got the blood flowing, because all of those endorphins, the positive ones, had been released, now I felt like I was ready to take on the day, and I had ideas about what I would do with it. And I you know, suddenly felt like there's not enough arrows in the day. That, that feeling is a nice feeling for me. You know, there's a feeling like, oh, God, so much to do, you know, uh, not just to be busy, but because I'm really curious and interested and want to do stuff. Want to go on an adventure, see where it leads me. What's this door going to lead to? So seeking seeking the light is essentially 
Seeking Enlightenment, I say that the book has three parts to it. And Seeking the Light covers those three different parts. So Seeking the Light for good photographs. Light is so important for photographs. That's pretty obvious. Seeking the Light in terms of the adventure. We often climb in the shade or on the shady side, in the ice, on the ice, in the dark, in many cases. And we're climbing into the light. So that metaphoric adventure of, you know, climbing into the light. But then also seeking enlightenment, the deeper questions revealed and that's i guess what really motivated me to write the book that's beautiful that little summary i like that i like also you kind of which i've come to realize recently and i think you did a good job of kind of subtly saying it without saying it which was you don't have to find this purpose that's like i'm going to cure world hunger i'm put on this earth to do this like your purpose could be just to wake up and have a purpose for that day of whatever it is for you. And that could change on a daily. And as you said earlier, like it's the path rather than the destination, like understanding that the path is your purpose <laughs> in life rather than the getting to the destination. Yeah. Uh, Greg Child, I quote him in the book. He's a famous Australian climber uh, who's, who's lived in the U.S. for I don't know, 40 years or so, but he has four books out. And I contacted them to find out which book this quote was from. And I'm going to try and remember it. So it's somewhere between the bottom and the top of the mountain is the reason, is the answer to why we climb, right? And that could be applied to life as well. You know, it's the journey. So I fully agree with what you're saying. Uh, but yeah, just as a side note, I contacted Greg and said, hey, which book is that in? Because um, I haven't read any of his books. <laughs> But the internet is sprayed with his quote, with his name underneath. And he said, I don't know. <laughs> Someone came to him years ago and said, can I use this? It was actually used for some uh, Christian TV show or something. And he said, yes. <laughs> he he um, regrettingly said yes. And now it's been sprayed all over the internet. So, But it's true. And whether he said it or not, obviously divinely it came to him or somebody and it got written down. And he's quoted as having said it. And he said, oh, well, I'll take it. Mm -hmm. But somewhere between the bottom and the top of the mountain is the answer to why we climb. And you could insert the answer to why we live. That's beautiful, man. And something you probably don't know or remember. But I love to finish every episode with this question. And you answered last episode, episode 143, in such a beautiful, profound way. Not that you have to remember for this round, but if you could speak to one listener out there who is seeking something and maybe has a fear of quitting their job, taking that first trip, mountaineering, whatever it may be, what would you say to inspire them? Well, I remember what I said last time, although I, didn't, I haven't listened for a couple of years, and that was, this will also change. Is that right? Is that what I said? No. <laughs> Completely different. Well, that's what I'm going to say now. This will also change. So, and that's more reaching out to anybody who's despairing with, you know, the status quo or the problems they're having or, you know, frustration with world war or pandemics or whatever it is. This will also change. And so whilst that's not much in the way of something to cling to, it's not much of a life raft it's it's barely like those little armbands that you put on your arm when you're learning to swim. It is it is something to hold to uh, 
in the depths of despair. And I felt that useful was useful for me. This is going to change. I know it. I just know it. This is going to change. And that's my reason to want to live on. You know what I mean? So that's a perfect, that's a perfect summary. It's a perfect summary, Gavin. Thank you for your time, my friend. Thank you. It's been great talking to you. Awesome, Gavin. Thank you so much for your time. It's awesome connecting with you because you and I can really chat on a level that I think gets to the root of what I'm trying to bring out within the kind of stories I help share on Misfits and Rejects. You know, showing people that there is this intuitive nature we all have, that little voice that tells us to go left or right, and it can guide us to a place of fulfillment, of happiness, of possibly travel, of possibly starting a new business, of possibly leaving the country and starting a new life somewhere else. And it was fun to hear your journey of creating your mountaineering business in episode 143 and then deciding to put that on hold while you listen to your intuition and work towards creating this book, this gift that you gave to the world, seeking the light, climbing all 24 of New Zealand's highest mountains. You truly are an inspiration, my friend. Thank you for your time. And folks, thank you for being here. If you are a first-time listener, please remember to hit that subscribe button. And for me, the nicest thing you can do is if you think this message is powerful and useful to somebody, share it with them. That's how Misfits and Rejects can grow. That's how I get more listeners. And that's how eventually, hopefully, I can turn Misfits and Rejects into more of a full-time venture and maybe get paid through sponsorships. I don't know. We'll see. I have some interesting things on the horizon, but I'll wait until they come to fruition to share them with you. So thank you again for joining me. I think you all are so beautiful, and I'll see you next week's episode. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspire you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.